welcome back to these audio recording files we like to call the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. This is season three. It's something of a mini series. We're going to look at four different questions that have been posed to me. And also I know circulate kind of in the circles that you and I run in a lot. Today's question basically has to do with church. And so it's, it's like, uh, essentially, why do I still go to church? which is a good question in light of all the difficult things that many of us have experienced in this thing that we call church. There are obviously good things that happen at church, but there's also some really difficult things that can happen. Um, On one end of the spectrum, it's just misleading and, you know, by well-intentioned people. On the other end of the spectrum, it's full-on abuse and manipulation and coercion, um, And in the middle of all that are all kinds of really nasty and difficult and challenging things that have happened within the context of church. And so knowing all of that and knowing how power has been misused, you know, the question is posed, why do I still go? It's a great question. I want to try to get at the answer of that today. First, I want to say thank you for those who have been plugging in to the Patreon page. It's patreon.com backslash Jonathan underscore Foster. Appreciate your support because as you partner with me, it helps me do more of these podcasts. But really, most most importantly, it helps me write. It just helps me carve out time to write. And I think of, uh, of the different things that I'm doing, that writing is probably, it's probably the thing I have the best chance at making the best influence and impact. I think I probably do it better than anything else, which may not be saying much. I may not do anything else very well, but um, I really appreciate you joining with me and making that happen. And when you subscribe to my page, there'll be opportunity down the road for you to read some of the stuff that I'm writing and give comment and feedback on. That'll help me write better. It'll help me dialogue with folks before stuff gets published. Again, there's not like a ton of perks and benefits from subscribing to my page, but um, there might be a little bit there if you enjoy some of the things that I'm saying and I'm writing about. All right. Why do I still go to church? And I think maybe a better way to phrase the question is why I'm still part of a church gathering. Because to just go to church implies that we're talking about a building or a prepackaged, you know, predetermined set of beliefs or an institution. And if that's the case, then honestly, I'm really not that interested. However, if we can define church as a community of people who are pursuing love and are being known more for what they're for, rather than being known for what they're against, then I think it's a concept worth talking about and wrestling with. And of course, when I talk about love, I mean non-sacrificial, non-scapegoating, violence-absorbing, grace-giving love, which are all things that I talk about at length throughout other episodes of this podcast, so I'm not going to get into those more specific things here. But in short, when I mention love, I'm not talking about love in the way the normal Western Christian tradition has presented love, which really isn't love to me. It winds up being a way to finesse certain beliefs, often misguided beliefs about sacrifice, and press them and form them into the topic of love in order to use it in a way to uh, kind of impose upon other people as like a, a behavioral modification discipline. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not interested in that at all. Uh, But rather, I'm talking about violence-absorbing, grace-giving, 
non-sacrificial, non-scapegoating love. And on the second part of that definition in terms of wanting to be a part of a church that's interested in being known more for what they're for rather than what they stand against, that's probably self-explanatory, and you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But for most of the Christian tradition of the church here in the western part of the globe, and probably all over, but certainly here, we have been known more for what we stand against. And we're constantly setting up barriers and borders and rules and lines. And again, as I always try to say, I think sometimes there were probably good intentions. But there's a lot of times when you just peel one or two intention away and you realize we're talking about pure, unadulterated control and power. So I'm not interested in that. Um, I think actually the weakness of acceptance is stronger than the power of rejection. I think the weakness of acceptance is stronger than the power of rejection. So I'm, I'm trying to do my best to stay away from this whole exclusionary, rejection-oriented type of religion that keeps certain people out. I actually think everyone's in. But of course, it's more difficult to do it this way. And I'm not great at it. I'm trying to get better at it myself. But the point is, is if we can talk about being a part of a church gathering that's pursuing love, and being known more for what they're for rather than what they're against, then I'm in. I think it's something that we need in order to become better human beings. If you can't get that at a part of your Christian church you're part of, then I'd say uh, run for the hills. I mean, I'd say take off and, and find it somewhere else. I really do think that if a God exists, that it's a God that wants you to pursue love. Okay, the first reason that I'm still looking to be a part of a church gathering is because, as I understand it, Jesus was a part of a church. Now, he wasn't a Christian. He was a Hebrew man, so he wasn't a part of a church in the same way that I am. But in essence, it was the same type of thing in that Jesus inherited certain traditions and prayers and worship practices and disciplines. He was operating from from within a particular worshiping community, kind of doing life with other people. It seems to me that his goal wasn't necessarily to blow all that up. It wasn't necessarily that he was saying this particular religion is bad or wrong because he used all of the, uh, the technique, one might say, in that particular religion. What he just wound up doing was subverting it and prophetically reforming it and of course, it is what wound up getting him in trouble because he's constantly kind of pushing the envelope. He's amending things. He's changing things. And by the way, where he changes things always winds up being at the intersection of how these particular rules and this particular tradition affects and impacts people. And so when you really begin to look at it, you realize that he had a practice. He never subordinated people to the rules. The rules were always things that served the people. And so I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. But he was very much a part of a particular tradition. And I think his life is worth emulating. So, so I still think it's worth wrestling with the concept of trying to find a church gathering to be a part of, because that's what Jesus did. Secondly, I'm still trying to be a part of a church gathering because I need to organize my life around a good story. Facts are great. 
I'll take them when I can get them. But the problem with facts is they still have to be interpreted. And the way we interpret facts is through the story that we're telling ourselves. Story means everything. I mean, you can have the fact that Jesus died, which is a fact. I mean, we would pretty much get that. Even, even in writing outside of the Bible, we recognized that there was a man who lived named Jesus around the turn of that, what we now call the first century, and that he died. So those are the facts. But the story could be that he died because God needed him to die, or he died because we needed him to die. Depending on the story you're telling yourself, you will interpret those facts completely different. So story truth is gospel truth. If you have an angry God story, then you'll likely be angry. You ha- if you have an everyone you meet is going to a hell because they're a sinner story, well, then that's how you're going to treat everyone. You're going to treat them all like they're going to hell and like they're sinners. Again, I happen to think non-sacrificial, non-scapegoating, violence-absorbing, grace-giving love is the best story in the entire cosmos. And it's challenging and it critiques the way I live constantly, but it also lifts me up and it's sustainable. It's ecological. It can be recycled. It's organic. It's never going away unless I stop giving it away, which is the paradox with all of it. Story truth is gospel truth. Um, Truth can't be boiled down underneath a microscope. It can't be seen just through a telescope. There are certain aspects of truth that can. But truth really is so flexible and so strong and so good, it has to weave itself in and out of stories. So it's not the size of the whale's throat relative to the size of the man. But it's the smallness of Jonah's petty world against the largeness of God's gracious world that winds up really mattering. Story truth. It's not about calculating the number of frogs it would take to cover Egypt, but why the empire stood in judgment in the first place. It's not about proof of death and resurrection, because honestly, who has that kind of proof anyhow? No, it's, it's a story that requires faith. It's about, can I locate myself in the reality that something new, something good that we might call resurrection is happening in every moment. And if I can hear that invitation and lean into that, then my life can be redeemed and changed from the inside out. And there are certain beliefs and rules that one can ask you to adhere to, but those things are constantly being negotiated and renegotiated in light of the particular context in light of the things that we're going through. And this was Jesus's practice, by the way. If you're offended by what I just said, this is what Jesus did. He kept stepping into the practices of his day, of his religion, and he would say things like, you've heard it said, but now I say to you. I mean, he says that again and again. And at one point he says, hey, you religious leaders who are studying the scriptures diligently, you're missing essentially the forest for the trees. You're missing the fact that all these scriptures point to me. And he kept reinterpreting the truth of the text in light of who he was, in light of who he saw his father God. And he saw his father God as a loving, gracious, merciful God, not as a God who who needed people to sacrifice. But I'm a part of a church gathering because, and I want to continue to be a part of one, because I need to organize my life around that good story. Now, if my church gathering doesn't organize around that good story, frankly, I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Moving on, number three. I'm looking to be a part of a church gathering 
Because this good story, really, it can only be worked out with people. Stories have to be embodied. Otherwise, they just sit lifeless on a page. Stories need to be worked out with people. A story without a person is like a god without creation. It's purely abstract. You can tell me all you want about marriage, but until you get married, and until we get to hear from your spouse, then it really doesn't mean a whole lot. And you could tell me what you believe, but until you get in and around people, especially people different than you, and you do life with them, and we get to hear from them a little bit, honestly, it probably just doesn't mean a whole lot. Being around people is going to bring the best out of you and also the worst out of you. And some days I think that that's kind of the point. It's kind of the point to bring the best out of you because we need your best. The world needs your best. But it's also kind of the point to bring the worst out of you because when the worst is brought out of you, it reveals something about who you are that cannot be hidden, it can't be suppressed, can't be covered up. And a lot of religious practices are geared, whether we know it or not, to try to suppress and cover up and pretend like we're better than we really are. But if you can be a part of a gathering that allows you to be vulnerable, encourages you to be courageous and strong enough to admit your vulnerabilities and to admit when the worst has come out of you, then you'll be a better person for it because then you'll have to face the reality that no one is either altogether good or altogether bad. There's like this line, what Solzhenheisen say, it's a line that goes through each and every one of us, uh, dividing good and bad. So being around people will bring out the good and the bad, and I think there's value in both. The story has to be embodied and worked out with people. Lastly, I'll get a little bit cheesy here, but, but it's kind of true for me, at least right now. I want to be a part of a church gathering because I really kind of like the things that are happening in my little faith community. I enjoy the songs that we sing and how we continually evaluate the lyrics in light of the good story. I like the meaningful prayers that we pray and how we often question their meaning. I appreciate the texts we read and how we're intellectually honest about portions of the texts that frankly don't seem to be intellectually honest. But most importantly, I'm working at loving the people I sing the songs, pray the prayers, and read the text with. We're attempting to stand together. And that part, the standing with each other part, that's a good story. I think communities that are pursuing love that they're living out the things that they talk about. I think communities like that, they're the hope of the world. And if you're finding those kind of things in your mosque or your synagogue or on a hillside by the ocean waves or at some particular vortex in the desert, I say go for it, man. It's fine. If you're pursuing love and wanting to be known more for what you're for rather than what you're against, and if you're doing it with intellectual integrity, it really almost doesn't matter. If you're doing it with integrity, it's going to lead you somewhere good. Now, a bunch of people listening, well, first of all, there probably aren't a bunch of people listening, but some people listening are likely scandalized by me saying something like that. I'm not really sure at this point in our history why that's the case. I mean, first of all, we know lots of people have been hurt by our Christian tradition. And if we don't know that, then we're not paying attention to what's going on. But our Christian tradition has authored so much xenophobic, patriarchal, sexist, foreigner-hating, slave-holding ideology 
it, that it's, it's crazy. And if we're, if we're not aware of that, it means we're probably just living by the truth of our algorithmic-mediated tribalistic community, which is just code for Facebook. So, first of all, why would we assume everything has to be interpreted in light of our own tradition when so many people have been hurt in our own tradition? And secondly, we generally don't do that with anything else. I mean, we generally, for those of us who are relatively stable, emotionally healthy, you know, mentally competent people, we recognize that there's value in hearing the voices from lots of different people. And we recognize that all of them will have different responses to certain questions. So if we do that in other areas of life, why don't we do that with religion? Why don't we do that with love? Why is there so much anxiety when someone like me says, it's okay what you're doing, that God accepts you, even if you don't get to truth in the same way that I get to truth? I mean, take a look at the life of Jesus. I think one could say when you read about him in the gospel stories, he never appears to be anxious around people who were different than him. And in particular, which is the point here, around people who had a different kind of faith or a different kind of religion than he did. And he was around those kind of people all the time. I mean, he was around Romans who served all different kinds of gods. He, he operated sometimes in the region called Decapolis, which was a demonic region. Don't you imagine a demonic region was a pretty unchurched place? He was around Samaritans. You don't find him preaching at them. You don't find him being pressured to follow his own Jewish customs so much that he condemns or rebukes or argues theology or debates or quotes the scripture or forces anyone really to change anything. What do you find him doing? You find him loving, accepting people. You find him even praising people's faith, even people's faith of a different religion, specifically as an example of what God wants. He heals people. He's, he's doing deliverances with people. He's constantly making announcements that God's kingdom is being brought right into their very midst. So if Jesus wasn't anxious around people different than him, around people who were trying to construct meaning and get to truth in a way different than his tradition, why are you so anxious? Maybe we should just take it a step further. That anxiety that you're feeling about someone being okay if they're a part of a different religious tradition than you, what do you think that's really saying? If you enter into that for just a moment, which is what I'm inviting you to do right now, what are you feeling? Why do you think you feel that particular way? What's at the source of that anxiety? Do you think you're being motivated by freedom? By grace? By peace? Is it something that God is asking you to feel? And if it's not, why are you holding on to it? Don't you think it's time to let it go? Can't you imagine that love is patient? Isn't that what our sacred text says? Which means the opposite of love is impatience. Which of course leads to me getting my way, which of course allows me to accuse others and relegate them to outsider status. Think about it. It's not a position dependent upon God. It's a position wholly dependent on what the other person does. Can you see how your community of faith hasn't helped you metabolize 
process deal with your frustration, your anger, your impatience, and your anxiety? Can you see how much you'd benefit by being a part of a community that helps you navigate these old and tired, wrathful stories? I'm thinking of my friend, Dr. James Allison. He says that that's the point of the church now. The point is it's supposed to help us navigate the wrath of the old, tired, worn out, scapegoating stories. That's why I'm saying I still think there's value in trying to locate a church gathering that's dealing with these kinds of things. Of course, some of you listening are like, yeah, I would love to find that. There's nothing around here like that. Well, if that's the case, love might be inviting you to start something. That doesn't mean you should go plant a church. In fact, I'd probably discourage you from doing that. It just means remembering what St. John of the Cross said. The mission of love is to put love where there is no love. And you can do that in whatever community you live in. And if you actually do that, you're probably doing church better than most of the churches who are, you know, have nonprofit status and have brick and mortar and have a staff and have a big budget. If you can put love where there is no love, that's actually doing church. And I say go for that. Well, I've probably rambled enough for today. I'm trying to get at reasons why someone would still be a part of a church gathering. And I think it's worth considering if you can be a part of a church that's pursuing love and being known more for what you're for rather than you're against. I think there are reasons to do that because number one, Jesus was a part of a church. His life is worth emulating. Number two, because you need to organize your life around a good story. Number three, because the good story has to be lived out with people. It has to be embodied. Otherwise, it's purely abstract and probably at the end of the day, it's pointless. And number four, well, I guess my fourth reason was really just expanding on the other three. So I invite you to sit with all that, think about it, pray about it. And if you're someone who's been struggling with prayer, well, then go back and listen to the last episode. Because uh, I tried to answer the question why I still pray. Trust me, I don't have all the answers, but it, maybe it'll give you something to think about. All right, thanks for being with me today. Have a great day. I really do hope you can find a faith community pursuing love. Mm-hmm.